blessing to be able to share this time together with you. You know, my desire is that all of us would be encouraged and strengthened, maybe just in light of the way things have been and how we've been affected by them. We need we need to have um, this message more than ever. The idea of building resilience may mean even more to us now than it has ever had. And I know a lot of us have been affected by things at a visceral level, at an emotional level, and maybe even at a physical level. So we do need to build our resilience, our bounce back capacity may be needed now more than ever. And my prayer is that we would be, even now, Lord, I ask this, that we would be strengthened by the word that we're about to share. Even as we look back in time at the life of a remarkable man named Joseph, who you have given to us as an example of how to grow up and over things that are not easy. So we ask for your blessing over this word in Jesus' name talk about the value of problems and about how God wants us to give him our best and what happens when we do that. Reconnecting back to the account of Joseph's life that we've been using as a template, as a kind of model for understanding what it means to be a resilient person who lives for God and how those two things are interrelated. But I want to pick back up in the 41st chapter of the book of Genesis. And by the time we come to Genesis 41, Joseph is 30 years old. That's a very significant moment in, in someone's life. And it's been two years since the chief cupbearer had been restored. And what that means is that, it, that Joseph in total had been away from his home for 13 years since he was, um, a, a teenager, really, not even, not even, all through his 20s, he had been confined and in captivity, enslaved and a prisoner. And although he had been given, because of his unique gifts, privileges in, in each of the places that he had found himself in, Potiphar's house and the prison, none of that equated to his freedom. And that is what he yearned for. And that was one of the reasons why he had asked the cupbearer to remember him after he had interpreted his dream in which Joseph told him, when you're restored, don't forget me, please remember me. But we were told at the end of Genesis 40 that he was forgotten. And remember, we talk about how hard it is to be forgotten and um, unremembered. So let's pick up Genesis 41. All right, let's just jump right in. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the kingdom of Egypt, uh, at the time, one of the more advanced cultures in the, in the world. Pharaoh, a man of unparalleled power. Uh, very few people in the history of the world could say that they had as much power. And yet, Pharaoh felt powerless to understand a dream that he had that had being so vivid and real. Let's, let's look at it together. Genesis 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows. They were attractive and they were plump as they were healthy and full. And they fed in the reed grass. That would have been a very comforting and familiar sight for Pharaoh. But then behold, there were seven other cows. They were ugly and thin, emaciated, sickly. And again, that wouldn't have necessarily been an issue, but what happened next 
disturbed Pharaoh as he was dreaming. But they came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. The healthy ones were devoured by the sickly ones. And then Pharaoh awoke. He was startled and disturbed, but he fell asleep again. And he dreamed a second time and behold, there were seven ears of grain. They were plump and good and healthy and they were growing on one stalk. And behold, after, the, after them sprouted seven other ears, thin and blighted, clearly um, not good at all. You know, a bad, devastated, sickly crop. They were blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears and Pharaoh awoke and he realized he was dreaming, but he couldn't forget the dreams. And in the morning, his spirit was so troubled that he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one, none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And we all would have understood this <laughs> if you were in the court of Pharaoh, that an unhappy, troubled Pharaoh was not good for anyone. In fact, an unhappy Pharaoh was a dangerous thing. And everybody wanted this problem solved. Pharaoh wanted to know the meaning of these dreams and no one seemed to have the answer. And then something happened, we're told in verse nine, then the chief cupbearer, remember him? The one whom Joseph had helped, whose dream Joseph had interpreted and that dream that had come to pass. He said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I, I need to share something and I, 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 I need to begin by saying that I, I remember my offenses today. Some, I have, I've been reminded of something that I, I didn't do right. And I, I would like to share something with you that I think would be helpful. So one of the things we know here is that the incident of Pharaoh's dream stirred the memory of the cupbearer to his own dream. That profound and vivid dream that he had when he had been imprisoned and under investigation. And with the memory of that dream came the memory of a man named Joseph. Yes, a good man, a kind man, an empathetic man who had, as the butler remembered, the gift of understanding far beyond his years. And as the, as the cupbearer sat with the memory of that season in his life and the dream that Joseph had interpreted, it says that he was struck with a pang, a, 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 a pang of remorse, a pang of remorse for, the, for his forgetfulness and his ingratitude. For he said, I remember my wrongdoing. I remember my offenses. Perhaps he, he, perhaps he had intended to get back to Joseph, but as you know, time had gone on, he, he lost his motivation and, and uh, decided maybe to let things be. And, and maybe I'll come back later when it's a better time. And, and, you know, but just that never happened. And he forgot Joseph and and if he did kind of remember, he just felt like, I just need to move on with my life. And I think we understand that. I, <laughs> have we ever done that? You know, I have. <sighs> there are some things that we should have finished well. We should have returned the good. We should have finished the circle. We, but we left it undone. And really, I'm not talking about those things in our lives 
that are wrongs done, but rather the good things that are undone. And I know that's a nuance. The good things that are undone, whether because of discomfort or distraction, uh, you know, maybe for some of us, there were good words that needed to be said and thank yous that needed to be shared. And we intended to, we meant to, but we didn't do it. And maybe some of us, if we can right now, <laughs> maybe that's what we should do. Maybe one of the purposes of this message is just to remind us to go back and, and, and say thank you or to send a note that God wanted us to send. You know what I'm saying? In the cupbearer's case, you know, maybe he initially felt guilty about not mentioning Joseph because Joseph had asked him to. He said, there's one thing Joseph had asked him to do is please remember me when you are restored. Don't forget me. That's, that's the one thing. If you, if, you, if, you, if you don't do anything else for me, if you can please mention that I actually am an innocent man and, and I've been very unjustly treated. And if you could put in some good words for me, that would be such a blessing. And um, perhaps the, the cupbearer had rationalized you know, what good could I do? I, 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 you know, I just need to lay low. I, I mean, I mean this, Joseph, I know he, he was, he's a great man and, and he was a blessing and all, but, but he was imprisoned by Potiphar and I don't want to get on Potiphar's bad side. He's the captain of the guard and, and I just don't need the trouble. Not right now, maybe later. And that good intention died as he chose to forget the good man that had helped him. But now... As he listened to Pharaoh, he, he felt regret. He did. He felt regret. Uh, his conscience was, was um, pricked. And he shared about the, the remarkable man that he had met in prison who interpreted dreams. And look at verse 10. It says, I remember something. Um, it was during the time when I had been in prison because of the things that had happened that you were not happy with. And look at verse 10, it says, when Pharaoh, he, he says, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And there was this young Hebrew who, who was there with us, a servant, yes, of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I mean, they, it came to pass. I was restored to my office and the baker, he was hanged. And now it has been said that in God's economy, delay is not denial. And I'm not talking about a river in Egypt. Okay. <laughs> Please forgive me for that joke. <laughs> All right. Um, Delay is not denial, and I'm not talking about a river in Egypt. But no, delay is not denial. It's usually, it's usually just a different kind of yes. And the key is timing. Please forgive me for that joke. <laughs> but it is, you know, if the scriptures teach us anything is that God's timing is usually different than ours, doesn't it? And Joseph was about to see. God's hand move on his behalf. And remember, when God opens the door, no man can shut it. 
when God opens a door, no, no man can shut it. No demon from hell can close it. It's going to open up. But can you hear me also? For Joseph, the path, and this is a critical truth. For Joseph, the path to the palace was guarded by problems. The path to the palace was guarded by problems. And can you hear me when I say that the vast majority of our spiritual breakthrough and growth will be guarded by problems as well? Absolutely. And that is why as much as we despise the difficult place, as much as we despise the times that we don't want, the hard seasons in our life that many of us find ourselves in right now, um, as much as we would renounce them, throw them off, kick them out of the room and, and tell them to get lost as much as we would, um, we should not fear them. No, don't fear them. We need not be afraid. We may not be like Joseph, who almost seemed to be able to embrace his problems and setbacks with a, a kind of uh, resolute equanimity, a steady assurance. He just, you know, he just kept climbing and climbing every time he was hit with a problem, like a fruitful bow going over that wall. Remember, he is the picture of resilience and adaptability. His faith held in him, even in the midst of his confinement. It held his trust in God, held even in the place of bitter disappointment. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm just amazed and inspired. And, you know, because of that, he managed his attitude, you guys. He managed his attitude. He did excellent work. And he exercised deep empathy. Think about the three things he did. And maybe God wants us to hear this because they are keys to resilience. He, he managed his attitude, right? He watched it. He stayed, um, for the most part, an, an optimistic person, a, a, a person who didn't quit on life, who wasn't bitter and cynical and angry. So he retained something of a belief in the goodness of God. And then he, he allowed that to help him do his work in whatever framework he found himself in, he did excellent work. And that excellent work became part of what propelled him into places of, you know, I guess, greater trust. And, and then on top of that, he exercised deep empathy. So when you combine those three things, the attitude that he chose, the work, the excellent work that he did, and the exceptional empathy that he, he demonstrated to others who were hurting or injured, that though, because of those things that were built out of a faith in God, and a true embracement of the Lord's ways. Because of that, everything, listen, everything he touched blossomed. It just blossomed. And Lord, I, I, I really do ask that you would help us, right? Help us men and women to be like this man. Really, let your spirit rest upon us and remind us of what it means to to live a life that pleases you, no matter what stage of life we find ourselves in. You know, for some of you, uh, how to be young again in your twenties and thirties and forties, you know, do not underestimate what God can do through your life and the contribution that you can make 
for him and in the lives of others, right? That, that if the Lord has his way, you will be salt and light and difference maker, imperfect, but someone who affects an environment for the Lord. And boy, do we need that now more than ever. And if I could say something to those of you in these places of life, now is the time to give God your best. Not tomorrow, right? Um, give him your best in your years of strength, in the now. Not after you make the money you want to make or after you make your mark or climb to that career spot. Uh, not after you find a companion as much as I want you to have have that in the Lord. Um, and it's more than okay to pray for one. That's absolutely true. Not after the kids are raised, uh, though I know you're tired, many of you. I do. I remember. But you know what? Don't say after these things pass, I'll give God my best. Now is the time, loved ones. Now is the time. Joseph shows us the way. Now is the time to give God your best. And maybe, you know, remember, Joseph was only 30 years old. And he has suffered greatly. And yet, he determined to give God his best, despite the situation he found himself in. And that is the path that we are to follow in as well. Those are the steps we are to follow because they look a whole lot like Jesus, don't they? And for others of us who are older, you know, maybe in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, and, and wherever you are in life, um, maybe well past our prime, and we sense that there are more years behind us than ahead of us, you know, let us claim the promise of Psalm 92, a promise that I've been sitting with, and I actually want to put this up there for all of us to see it and read it together, and, and you're, you're welcome to just speak it out with me. But in verse 12 of Psalm 92, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. And look at this promise. They shall bear fruit in old age. Yes, they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You know, I remember... Um, my grandfather, I know I talk about him a lot. He was, he was the best man in my life. Not a perfect man, a flawed man. He, and yet he loved God sincerely. He loved to pray. Oh, he would pray. I would hear him pray. I remember how he would be in a room and he put himself on his knees and on a chair and he'd just start praying out loud. And he could pray for, you know, a long time. I mean, there were some times where I see him pray for an hour just on that chair, you know, praying out to God, praising God. It sits in my memory, yeah. But I remember him telling me, cause you know, I was just a young man. I, I was in my teens and early twenties. He says, there's no, there's, he said, in the kingdom of Jesus, Terry, there's no, there's no retirement. And he didn't mean he would never stop pastoring, uh, although he, he did in the final stretch of his life. And that's, that was a, a time of, of transition. 
But what he meant was, when he said there is no retirement in the kingdom of Jesus, what he meant was there's, uh, there's never a time when you stop living for Jesus. Never. You know, our roles may change, our capacities may change, our strength may wane, but our call to represent him remains the same. <sighs> the truth is, and Joseph will later declare it with his own lips, that his problems were allowed by God to refine and prepare him, to train and to shape him for a season of deliverance and unique contribution. That's true. And so we see that the value of problems, and I know I need to say this, is that they can actually prepare and grow us. But not only that, they also reveal us. See, one of the values of problems is that they reveal where we're at with God. And a lot of times we don't really know where we're at in terms of what our faith really is until we find ourselves forced to endure a wilderness season or a season of distinct deprivation or a season of unusual loss or undesired suffering and pain or a question that is not being answered the way that we needed answered or a prayer that seems to be unheard. You see, in these places of sustained disappointment, it's sometimes there that we really see ourselves as we are. And, and, and sometimes it's not until we find ourselves in that place of great pain or confinement. Not that I want them because I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I'm just being honest with you. I know people can say to me, oh, well, that's how you grow. And I would say, okay, but I still don't want it. <laughs> Just being honest. But if it comes my way, I need to see this as actually an opportunity. You know, maybe we're, we feel like we're like jo Joseph with a shackle on his feet and a collar on his neck after being sold by his brethren, sitting in a prison cell, a pit with no hope in sight. Maybe it's there, so to speak, that we discover the depth of our faith. I was reminded of something Peter, the apostle Peter wrote to believers. And he was a much older man after Jesus had left this world and ascended on high after the resurrection. Peter was a changed man after the day of Pentecost, filled with the spirit. Everything about him kept growing and changing for the better, but perfect, but he improved. And I was reminded of something that Peter wrote to the believers who were suffering. And this is in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, look at that phrase, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, again, some things to remember that can help build resilience. Some problems in life cannot be avoided. And yet we need to strengthen ourselves by reminding ourselves that this too shall pass. No pain, suffering, or disappointment, Peter says, and it's really the Lord speaking to us, lasts forever. According to scripture, problems <laughs> at worst, relatively speaking, are only for a little while compared to the, the breadth of what is coming, they are but a, a passing wave, a flicker in the sky, a shooting star, 
right? If we look at it through the lens of eternity and what is ahead of us, even the worst problems are just, just something that are going to pass us by. But here is a great truth. And I know that that may or may not always help us, but it's also true that the problems and disappointments of life, if, if they are submitted to Jesus, can actually become mechanisms. And I hope you see this, because it's the phrase that really stood out to me. They become mechanisms of authenticity. That is, the problems and, and things that we don't want can actually become the catalyst for an authentic, genuine faith. And how much is that needed, you guys? How much is that needed in an age of duplicity and backbiting and false speaking? Um, and yes, hypocrisy. You know, the Lord invites us into authenticity. He invites us to be real deal people like Joseph was. And when you're a real deal person, you have built in resilience because the Lord can work with an honest heart. And what's more, we are told here that problems can actually do another thing. They can increase our love for Jesus. Now, and, and, and our anticipation of a glorious, joy-filled future. It can. And, but look what it says, in, in, and then in, in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Ah, that is fantastic. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What a verse. I mean, I've read it many times, but it's something about it just leapt out at me this time. You know, God's word is a treasure chest of things new and old, a vibrant living thing. And sometimes I read a portion of scripture and I've read it many, many times. And then this particular time it hits me because of either where I'm at or my, or how the Lord's moving in the moment. He just the word new and old comes alive in different ways. And that's why we are to invest in the best, spend time in his word. We will be wise people. We will be better people. Uh, we will be able to interpret God and we will be able to live in a way that pleases him. Your words keep me, Lord. They are, they are spirit and they are life. You know, God, um, I love this though. God's word is a vibrant living thing. But look at that statement that is made by the apostle. It's so good. But though I have never seen him, I love him. I, I do. And though I have never seen him, I believe you do. And so I rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then verse eight, again, just reading it one more time because it's so good. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I think that speaks of the now and the not yet the now and what is yet to be of a promise of a future more glorious than we can now envision, but also, also a peace of mind, body, and spirit that is found in him. When I think of the salvation of our souls, it's both speaking of that which is going to be fulfilled when I leave this world, but also something that I can have as I embrace the kingdom in the now. And that is the invitation to a life of peace in my body, in my mind, and in my spirit. We're talking about, listen, do you understand what we're talking about? We are talking about a comprehensive salvation that allows us when we, when we do this right to embrace anything, right? And to overcome anything. <laughs> Remember loved ones, when we 
walk with the shepherd, we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my guide. I shall lack for nothing. Think of Psalm 23. It starts with the reminder of God's faithfulness. The center reminds us to fear no evil and then concludes with a reminder of a joy filled life and a promise of his presence. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. <laughs> yes. And remember, and, oh, and one more thing. Remember, a genuine faith is not to be confused with a perfect faith. Peter is not suggesting that we will always get it right. He, of all people, understood failure, yes, even shame. But if, but he also understood that if the Lord has his way, we can live a life. How can I say this? If the Lord has his way, you and I can live a life of compounding authenticity, joy, and peace. I love compounding interest. And a life of compounding authentic joy and peace especially if we allow God to work with us through the grieving in the confining places, like Joseph had to do. He had places of loss. He had a place where he felt trapped. Those are the two places, right, I, that stand out to me, places of loss and places where we feel trapped. And we will have them. We all will in different seasons. Remember, if we have to go through it, we might as well what? You know it grow through it. Remember what God can do. He, he can break us out into wide spaces. So let's fix our trust and sing our songs of hope and faith with joy and declare our confidence in him. In Joseph's case, he was unwilling to surrender in his confinements his confidence in God's faithfulness. I'll say that one more time. In Joseph's case, he was unwilling to surrender in his confinement, his confidence in God's faithfulness. He chose not to acquiesce to his problems, but rather to honor God with his attitude. And that's what I want to do too at these times. I just, I don't want to acquiesce to the problems. I want to honor God with my attitude. I want you to do that too. There's many things for us here. I have another another thought to share before we close, but uh, just reminded of what the Lord can do and the breakthrough he can bring and, and how faithful he is when things are hard. And, you know, we're going to share a song. And uh, I, like I do, I, I always remind us all and how faithful you have been to, to give as we can under the Lord, you know, you can give him your tithes and your offerings. You can do it the traditional way, send it, send it into the offices or, on the app or online. But like, I, I really mean this even more than that before we ever give God anything, we want to give him our heart. Right. So let's go on here and, and share this moment. I'm going to come back around. All right, here we go. I will trust, I will trust 
Above all, there is God, and let's fix our trust on Him, right? Just like Joseph did. 
you know, darkness can't deny it, death can't define it. No. What we have is, is greater than any of those things. Right? Let's not let go. Don't let go. Hold on. May God help us to, to be a people who honor him with our attitudes, who, who are harnessed for his purposes. Let us, let us be a people who are released for his goodness because you know why. He's so good and he's so God and he wants us to so good and he wants us to so God. May the Lord keep you, oh greatly loved one. May he keep you in your spirit, in your body, in your mind, in your soul. That's my prayer and blessing to you in Jesus' name.